Amen. Hey, you guys, I'm going to be seated. Uh, good evening to everyone. Uh, has this not been a great weekend for our kids? Let's go ahead and give it a round of applause for the kids' weekend. Um, if this is your first time with us, uh, my name's Eric Hovis. I'm the lead pastor here of New City Church. Um, your kids may know me as Slimy Stew, okay? So I was a little bit of a, a bad guy this weekend. So uh, let me be the first to say uh, welcome to New City Church. Um, we're glad you're here. We truly value every visitor that comes through our door. Um, let me give you a quick 10,000 picture, uh, foot picture of who we are as a church. Um, we're a church plant, and that, that basically means we're a brand new church. Uh, and next weekend is actually our launch Sunday, uh, which is something like a grand opening. Um, I'm going to share more stories next, uh, share more of who we are and share more of our story next weekend. But, but in short, the vision of our church is to see Jesus change lives and to reach the world. Um, we want to see Jesus change lives here in Tampa. Uh, we, want, we want to see people in, encounter true, real, uh, authentic Christianity. Um, Jesus has radically changed my life, and he's also radically changed the life of many people here that have moved down here with us. Uh, we would call ourselves a gospel-centered church, um, which means we make everything we do here about, about Jesus. Everything. Um, everything in the Bible points to Jesus and his work at the cross, so we do the exact same thing here. Um, everything we do, we want it to point to Christ. Uh, we believe the gospel, it, 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 it affects every single aspect um, of our church, of our lives. Um, every sermon, uh, every passage of scripture, every, every song that we sing, every ministry that we make and we, we, we lead, uh, and every life that comes through our doors, we believe that the gospel makes a big difference. So that's something that we're passionate about. We're passionate about the gospel. Um, and so that's a quick 20-second overview of our church um, if you're a parent here tonight, and your kids are here for Kids Weekend, um, you know, we'd like to invite you to come back for our launch Sunday next week. It's a big day. Um, next weekend, next Sunday is a big day for us. It's truly a celebration, uh, really for what God has done over the past two years leading up to this point. Um, we're starting a brand new sermon series next week. It's called, uh, Who is Jesus? out of the book of Mark. Um, we're, every single week in this series, we're going to try and answer that simple question, who's Jesus, right? Simple sermon series. Simple text. Uh, we're going to walk through the life of Jesus uh, to see what he did on this earth, and we're going to see how Jesus flipped the world upside down, how one man completely altered history that 2,000 years later uh, is still radically changing the lives of millions of people here on earth. Uh, we're going to see how the power of Jesus is still reverberating throughout history, continuing to leave his mark on this planet. And so if this is true, if Jesus did this, at the very least, we should ask the simple question, who is, who is Jesus? Who is this man? Right? Was he just a good, wise teacher? Uh, was, he, was he simply a nice man? Uh, or was Jesus far more than that? And so that's what we're going to be exploring through this sermon series. Uh, and how we answer this question, if we're consistent with what we believe, how our lives, uh, can't, our lives can't be the same. If we're consistent with this, it demands a response. It demands a response. Some, some, something we say often here at New City Church is that the gospel changes everything. The gospel changes everything. And something we know to be true is that Jesus, the man that we will explore over this series, is at the very center of the gospel. Uh, so all, of that, all this begs the question, who is Jesus? So that's starting next week. But tonight, uh, we know that many of you guys came here for Kids Weekend. Uh, so let me assure you, assure you of something. Um, we're going to load your kids up with all sorts of sugar and then send them home with you. Right, um, you know, I've always uh, I've always wanted to say that because my you know they've got I've got three little kids and they've got uh, grandparents that always do that to us. Um, you know, my kids are seven, five, and almost three. You know, I'm usually on the bad end of this deal 
uh, and tonight I'm still on the bad end of this deal because my kids are over there too. So we're all in this together. Um, but on a serious note, we really want to say thank you to all the parents who came out because here at New City Church, we take seriously raising up the next generation. This is something that we, uh, we, we take seriously. We want our kids to have a better worship experience than, than the parents. Uh, we want our kids to love the church. The philosophy of our kids' ministry is pretty simple. Uh, it's to be safe, it's to have fun, and, and to be engaged with the gospel. We want them to learn something about Jesus. So we take, we take extra special care to make sure that we have uh, strict security and accountability in place for our teachers. Uh, that we have an organized check-in and check-out system. We have proper teacher-to-child ratios uh, because the safety and security of our kids, of your kids, it's a top priority. Uh, and with that said, we, wanna, we want them to be engaged with the gospel every single week. We want them to be equipped uh, as gospel laborers, uh, so to speak. And then lastly, we want them to have fun. Uh, we, want our, we want kids to be kids. Right? I think that's important for, for, them to encounter, for them to be kids and then for them to encounter Jesus in the midst of it. Um, the kids in our kids' ministry, I pray all the time. I pray that God would raise up future missionaries, uh, future church planners, and future disciple makers. Um, we want them to be engaged with real, true, authentic Christianity. Um, you know, one of the high points of my kids' week, every week, is gathering here with New City Church. They love it. Um, and it's not, it's not because uh, their dad is one of the pastors. I like to think that, but I don't think that's the case. It may have something to do with the fact they get goldfish every week, um, especially for my two-year-old. But in all honesty, it's because they get engaged with the gospel. Uh, they get engaged with the Bible story in an engaging way. Um, they've got teachers that truly love and care for them every single week. Right? Our teachers here, um, they're not just babysitters. They're raising up the next generation for Jesus. Uh, they're making disciples of Jesus. And so, uh, no, we're glad you're here tonight. Um, as we finalize Kids Weekend, we're going to talk about the gospel and parenting. Um, we're going to use a story in Matthew 16 as our anchor. And let me just say up front, um, by no means uh, do, we, do I think, uh, do we think we have this parenting thing all figured out. Um, I'm not a parenting expert. I don't claim to be. Um, me and my wife, Kelly, we're trying to figure this whole parenting thing out ourselves. In fact, um, on any given day, if you come into our house, you'll be welcomed with uh, Legos to step on, uh, screaming kids, laundry to be folded, and uh, some sort of toddler crisis to overcome. That's just a normal day in the Hovis household, okay? So, uh, I mean, just three days ago, this past Thursday night, actually, uh, we had a guest over for dinner. And our uh, kids were playing while we were chatting with our guests, and our two oldest came, out, came, came inside. Um, a small little tussle, we'll, we'll call it, uh, breaks out. Um, our guest, uh, you know, she kind of caught on to maybe it's time to go. Uh, and within about one minute, this is not an exaggeration, um, blood is running down my son's face. Okay, it was an accident, but blood was running down his face. I take him upstairs to clean him up. Uh, just to find my youngest um, with uh, fingernail polish all over her hands and all over her feet. Um, and then I start to smell a uh, not-so-great smell, right? Um, and it wasn't fingernail polish. Uh, while I was standing next to my son, um, <laughs> who had blood running down my face, uh, with holding my daughter with fingernail polish all over her hands and feet, um, I looked to see our dog had found her way into the trash can to tear open a few stinky nasty diapers. So that is uh, Parenting 101 right there. Um, this is your parenting expert for the night. Uh, that's a parenting fail, I would call that. So, um, you know, uh, we thought we were great parents um, until we had kids. Um, you know, Kelly babysat for years. Uh, she was a nanny um, during the summers. One of my best kept secrets when I was in college, I, I had a job. I called it a manny, like a, a male nanny. Um, it was probably my all-time favorite job that I had in college. 
Um, every, every other job that I had in college was much more labor intensive. Um, that summer on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays, I worked for a land developer. And I would literally go, pick, go into this field, this hot, you know, hot field, and pick up boulders and stumps and rocks and throw them into the back of a pickup truck um, in a hot tick infested field um, for 10 hours a day. That's what I did. And then on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I played basketball. Uh, I played football. Uh, I sat by the pool for four hours a day, and I actually made more per hour um, as a manny than I did, uh, you know, in that field, in that snake trap of a field um, that I spent countless hours in. So after that summer, I thought that parenting was going to be a piece of cake, right? Um, and then we had our first child, um, four pounds, 13 ounces, uh, that ball of cuteness. She just completely turned our world upside down. Yeah, you heard that right. She was four pounds, 13 ounces. Uh, she came three and a half weeks early. She was tiny, and I was terrified. Uh, she was so small, we actually had to feed her with a syringe um, as a child. Um, and honestly, I'd never really experienced any form of anxiety uh, until we had kids. I was a nervous wreck. And on top of that, you know, they say sleep deprivation is a form of torture. Um, and so that first few weeks of parenting, I wanted to just crawl up into a corner and just cry like a baby. Right? That's what I wanted to do. Um, and then about five or six months go by, and she got some weight to her. She started sleeping. Um, and we just thought we were the best parents in the world. Um, you know, the first tends to be that way oftentimes. Um, uh, she, you know, she, every piece of food was perfectly cut up. You know, she always had a bow in her hair. Um, you know, she was on a strict diet. We photographed every single moment. Uh, and as she got older, for the most part, she was compliant, right? She listened pretty well. Um, she was pretty easily corrected. We thought we were doing pretty good. We thought we were great, wise parents. And then we had a boy. Um, and if you don't know, uh, boys are a little different than girls. When he was five months old, um, we called him uh, Bam Bam because he was literally hitting everything in sight. And then five years later, he's still doing the same thing. Um, and then we had our third, and let's just say it's not uncommon for to find her locked up in the dog cage, uh, being fed dog food by her other two siblings, and her normal attire is half naked. Um, that's just where we are. Uh, shoes in public apparently are optional these days, and um, I don't think she ever wears a bow. Um, just trying to get our family out the door as a family, my, my blood pressure immediately rises. Um, so I tell people all the time, parenting is one of the hardest things I've ever done. Right? I think many parents in here can agree with that and attest to that. Um, but I, I say all the time that I wouldn't want it any other way. Um, it's hard. It's challenging. It's emotionally and physically taxing. Uh, yet it's rewarding all at the same time. So let me be upfront and clear. If you haven't already noticed, um, uh, we too, we're trying to figure out this whole parenting thing. Uh, but something I do know is that I can stand up here and talk to all of us, including myself, uh, about parenting not on my own authority and experience, but on the authority and experience of the one who, has, who is completely perfect, the one who created parenting. That's the authority that we stand on. I want to point us to the life and teaching of Jesus. Uh, here at New City Church, we draw from the Bible as our ultimate source of truth. Um, we, don't, we don't see pastors as Yodas or spiritual sages. Um, we're, we're broken people in need of grace too, um, just like everybody else. My job is not to be the source of truth, but to point all of us including myself, to the ultimate source of truth. So with that said, let's get our story in the Bible. Uh, Matthew 16, starting, starting in verse 21. Um, and it's a story about a young mother, about, about a mother and a young daughter in need of help. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about parenting tonight, but uh, this story is way more, is way more than that. Um, it, it directs us 
towards the foundation of parenting. Towards the foundation of parenting. And honestly, it's pointing us to something that every single person in this room, every single person in this room is in need of. Uh, So if you have your Bibles, you can follow along with me starting in verse 21. If you don't, we're going to have it up here on the screen. Okay? Let's read God's Word. It says, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from the region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word, and his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. So I'm going to walk back through this story, this passage of Scripture again, verse by verse. I'm going to explain a few things as we go, um, things that I think are important for all of us here tonight. And then on the back end of our time, we're going we're gonna to run towards one big idea. So I'm going to go ahead and give you that one big idea up front, um, just so you have it now. And here it is. Tonight we'll see that the gospel is essential to parenting. The gospel is essential to parenting. Uh, we're going to see a few other things along the way, but it all feeds into this one big idea. Um, and real quick, if you're, not, if you're here tonight and you're not a parent, okay, don't tune out. Don't tune out, because I think what we'll soon find is that this principle, this big idea, it's not just for parents. Um, if you're not a parent, you could say, we could say the same idea. The gospel is essential to all of life. It's essential to life. The message, this truth, um, it affects everything we do. Everything we do. So let's go ahead and dive back into our story. Uh, look back at verses 21 and 22 with me. This is what it says. It says, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold... A Canaanite woman from the region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. So there's a few things that are going on uh, here that I think are important for us to, st- for us to understand. Uh, first, Jesus, is, he's leaving one region, uh, and he's going to another region. Uh, he was going to the districts of Tyre and Sidon. So at first glance, we could think, um, you know, Jesus, this guy, he just likes to travel. You know, maybe that's what he's doing. Uh, and just move on. But there's something very significant here that I think we should pause and look at. Um, Jesus wasn't just going to a different district or a city. Jesus was going to a hated area. He was going to a hated area. He was going to a pagan area. Now, there was probably some sort of tension with these people where the region he was going to. Um, There was a lot of touchy history in this region uh, where where Jesus was traveling. And the people in this region, uh, they were pagans. They were irreligious. They were rejecting God. And there was a history of great war and strife in Tyre and Sidon, in this area they were going. So uh, Jews that would often travel to this area, um, you know, I guess we could say uh, this was not exactly the area uh, where they would be welcomed with a cup of tea. Um, There was probably some hostility in this region that they were going to. And then secondly, the second thing we see is that there's a mother from the region. um, And this mother, she's very aware of the historical tension that's going on in this this in this area. Uh, she's, she's, she's aware of her pagan background, um, knowing that she's not an ethnic Jew, that her heritage and her lineage alone, um, she knows that this clearly separates her from, uh, separated her, and this, this, her, her heritage, it makes her an outcast. 
Right? She's an outcast. Um, and, and also, she appears to be aware of the history and the teaching of Israel, um, where Jesus is coming from. And so knowing all of this stuff, right, she's entering into what would be a pretty big risk. Right? This, this, this mother, this, this lady, she comes running up to Jesus, and she's crying out to Jesus. And this is what she says to him. She says, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. This story just got real deep, deep real quick. We're talking about demons here. Okay? Um, this mother, uh, there's something wrong with her daughter. Right? We just read that she says she's severely oppressed by a demon. Um, we don't know what this demon oppression entails. Uh, the same story told in the book of Mark. Uh, Mark calls it an unclean spirit. The book of Mark also tells us that this woman's daughter, uh, this, this daughter, she's actually a small child, a little girl. Um, and whatever this demon oppression is going on, the book of Mark tells us this small child, this little girl, it actually uh, leaves her in bed. So she's in bed rest, so to speak. Uh, so she's sick. It could have been something um, that could have appeared to be just like a really bad sickness. But this, this lady, she believed that it was uh, to be a demon, um, which was common. Demons seem weird and strange to us here today in our culture, but this was a normal common thing. Right? This was normal and common to them. But regardless of what we think, what was going on with her, um, the one thing that we can know to be true is that it's obvious that this little girl, she needs help. That's what, we can, that's what we know to be true. She needs help. So just imagine with me here, this woman, this mother, she has a small child, just think possibly four or five years old. We don't know the exact age. Maybe she's severely sick. Maybe she's convulsing or trembling, trim, tremoring. Uh, maybe she's very pale and just not speaking. Uh, like I said, we don't know exactly what's going on, but what we do know is that whatever it is, it's severe enough for this woman to take a major risk. All right, she's, this, this mother is going to take a major risk to cry out, as Matthew says, for mercy. You see, in that moment, this Canaanite woman, uh, this outcast, she has heard of what Jesus has done. Right? She's heard that Jesus has healed people, uh, cured people of sickness and disease, that she's casted out demons, but she also knew that she was not, right, she was not part of the right crowd. Right? She was not part of the right lineage. She was born in the wrong district. And she knew it, and she knew the risk. And do you know why I think she did it? Why she was willing to take this risk? Um, she did what many people said would have made her a fool, um, a crazy lady. Right? She, she made a scene. She ran up to Jesus without any credentials right, whatsoever to approach him. Because remember, Jesus was a rabbi. Jesus was a, a religious figure to everyone at the time, and, and she begged for help. But do you know what? I don't think she was crazy or I don't think she was a fool. She was doing what any loving mother would do. Because that's what mothers do. Loving mothers and fathers will do anything and everything necessary to help their children. You know, I've seen my own, uh, my own wife do this firsthand. Um, 34 weeks pregnant with our third child. In the middle of the night, all of her kids were in bed. Um, and blood just starts gushing. Just starts gushing. Uh, she didn't have time to wait to try and get all of our other kids up, dressed, out the door um, so I could drive her and all of our other kids to the hospital. Um, so she just jumps in the car and she drives herself in desperation to the hospital. And within 30 minutes, um, our youngest child, our youngest daughter, Millie, was out by an emergency C-section born and she was safe in her mother's arms. Um, my wife, she did whatever it took to, to save her daughter, right? to, to keep her daughter safe. And do you know Why? Because that's what loving mothers and fathers do for their kids, right? They make great sacrifices every single day for their kids. Big sacrifices, major life sacrifices, 
and then also small day-to-day sacrifices every day. And so this loving mother, she cried out to Jesus in desperation, but also in respect. She's in desperation, but also comes to him respectfully and in complete humility by calling him, she says, Lord, son of David. You see, she wasn't a Jew, but she knew their history. She knew Jesus's history. And by calling Jesus, Lord, son of David, she was recognizing him as the Messiah. She was recognizing Jesus as the long-awaited Savior that the people of Israel had been hoping for, the Savior of the people that have bad blood with her people. In a lot of ways, this was scandalous, what she was doing. You know, think about this. Not only was she crying out for help um, from her cultural enemy, but in doing so, she was going against her own heritage. You know, uh, but in doing, you know, in times of desperation, that's what mothers do. That's what fathers do. They'll do whatever it takes to help their children. Um, nothing else was seeming to work, and she believed that Jesus was what her daughter needed. She, Jesus was what her daughter needed. And then look what happens. It says in verse 23, it says, But he did not answer her a word. Uh, Jesus remained quiet. He, was, he listened. Uh, Jesus observed what was going on, and he didn't say anything. Uh, Jesus' silence here. This is grabbing everybody's attention. Uh, and then look at what he says next. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. See, Jesus' disciples, they knew the tension of this la- that this lady brought. Uh, they knew the history in the background. They didn't want to make a scene. She was in desperation. They didn't know what to do. Uh, they were shocked that Jesus, the rabbi, the one in charge, didn't send her away immediately. And his silence, Jesus' silence in this moment seems strange to the disciples. Uh, and then Jesus, uh, he comes in, he makes a very puzzling response to the mother. This is what he says in verse 24. He says, he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You know, see, something we need to understand here uh, is that up to this point with Jesus, it was widely understood that Jesus came to save the people of Israel, right? a specific people. He was known to be the Savior for a specific group of people. Um, a group of people, a heritage that you had to be born into. And this mother, uh, she was not part of that special group of people. She was an outcast. She was essentially born, this mother was essentially born into the wrong family. And when Jesus is making this puzzling response to this desperate mother, uh, this is what, that's what Jesus is reminding her of. You know, Jesus recognizes that this mother, that she knows her stuff. Right? She, she understands the request that she's asking. She understands that this request is not in line. It's outside of what they have been teaching for thousands of years. But what do loving mothers do? Right? Anything necessary, anything possible. And look what the mother says next. But she came, in verse, in verse 25, it says, But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. In this moment, I just imagine her being down on her hands and knees, in desperation, begging for help. She knows that if her daughter has any chance, if her daughter has any chance, it's going to come from Jesus. Because she heard, she's heard what Jesus has done. She knows that Jesus has been healing people, uh, that he's casted out demons, and then um, Jesus comes in and makes yet another puzzling response. Uh, and at the surface, <laughs> uh, this response uh, would come out of Jesus' mouth at the surface. It, it honestly, at first glance, it seems a bit rude and snarky coming from Jesus. 
Uh, this is what Jesus says to the begging mother. Um, in verse 26, it says, And then he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. This seems like an odd response from Jesus, does it not? Uh, this is Jesus, the nice rabbi. Uh, but what is Jesus doing here? What he's doing is, yet again, he's reminding this lady of the scandalous nature of this request. Because remember, the people of Israel, they didn't like this, this mother's people. They didn't like these people. The people of Israel, they were called God's children. And this mother's people uh, were often referred to, her people were often referred to as dogs by, by these people. But just because of what they had done throughout their history, because of their history. And so something interesting, though, when Jesus, uh, when, when Jesus is speaking of dogs, when he says, that, you know, and throw it to the dogs, uh, something very subtle about that word there that makes a massive difference in the tone as we read it um, is that this word dog, when Jesus said it, it was actually more of an affectionate term. So at first glance, you know, he's calling, it seems like he's calling this lady a dog. Um, but when we think this is more of an affectionate term, like we would call a puppy here, you know, like we'd be like calling, hey, there's like a puppy. Um, because Jesus was not insulting this woman here, as it appears. Uh, he was testing her faith. And he was doing what he often did, using, using a parable to teach her with everybody watching. And, as, and all of this was going on, it was probably shocking to the disciples as they watched this interaction, and it probably left them wondering what Jesus was doing. Because this, uh, this strangely affectionate address uh, to this Gentile mother, it seemed odd. So in the nicest way possible, he's reminding this lady, this woman, this mother, graciously, and kindly of this scandalous request, while also testing her faith. And look at this mother's response in verse 27. It says, She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Now, if you've got a dog, you may get this a little bit, especially if you have small children. At our house, um, our dog often plays like the vacuum cleaner at dinner time, after dinner time, and she, uh, she loves our youngest uh, because she spills the most food, okay? Uh, and she loves to feed her the food that she doesn't want to eat. Um, within six months of us having our first dog, our, our, our only dog, um, we had to put her on a diet uh, because our kids were spilling too much food and she was eating too much off the ground. Um, and our kids just like to feed our dog more than they should. Uh, it was a little bit more than just crumbs, as the story says. So just think about this, right? Dogs that are hungry and desperate, they'll do anything that fall. For the, crumb, for the crumbs that fall. You know, they'll sit at your feet. Uh, you know, they'll wag their tails, um, hoping for something that's going to fall. Um, just with so much excitement for crumbs that are going to fall down. Okay, just think about this. And they do it, and they're hungry and they're desperate, but they also do it because they know that the food on the table is tasty and it's good food. And that's what this desperate mother is doing here. She's begging for just the scraps off of Jesus' table. She knows what's on Jesus' table, and she's just begging for the scraps <laughs> because she believes that the scraps will be enough to heal her daughter, to get rid of this demon, and she's not asking for a feast. This woman coming in, she's not asking for a feast. She's just asking for the crumbs. She's asking for the crumbs because she's desperate. She's hungry to see her daughter healed. She knows that the food at the table that Jesus has served, it's good food. She wants it, and she wants her daughter to taste it, so she comes to Jesus in great humility and believing in great faith. And then in verse 28, to conclude the story, it says, Then Jesus answered her, 
O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And then look at this. It says, and her daughter was healed instantly. Instantly. You know, this encounter with this uh, mother was a huge turning point. At this moment, at this moment in in the life of Jesus, Jesus was making the statement that in God's kingdom, a person's faith precedes their heritage. Essentially saying to the disciples watching, to the lady there, to the desperate mother, uh, (laughs) that it doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter what you were born into. It doesn't matter what what you brought to the table. It doesn't matter what you haven't brought to the table. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter your history. It doesn't matter your heritage. They're not held against you. The statement that Jesus is making in this moment is that a person's faith is what what brings a person to Jesus' table for healing, right? to cast out demons, to be cured from disease, and to eat the food that Jesus has served. We could say it this way. The key to God's kingdom is faith in Jesus alone, not our family heritage or our good deeds. Right? Our family can't save us. We can't save our kids. Our good works and the good deeds, we, that's not going to save us. It's never good enough. Faith in Jesus alone is our ticket into God's kingdom. The Bible is clear. Nothing else is going to work. Everything else falls short. You know, leading up, uh, leading up to this point in Jesus' life and ministry, it was clear that Jesus had come to save the Jews, the specific group of people. But in this moment, Jesus began hinting. This was, this was the first hint that we see in Jesus' life and ministry, that Jesus came for all people. Right? He came for both the Jews and the Gentiles. But Gentiles just means non-Jew. Right? It's, basically, it's basically everybody else. It's an all-inclusive statement, which includes you and me here today. Everybody on this planet. And, that, and as the story of Jesus continues to unfold after this encounter with this woman, um, he continues healing. Right? He continues casting out demons. He continues healing the blind and the deaf and the paralyzed and those with diseases. Uh, but it becomes abundantly clear that Jesus didn't come just to cast out demons and heal the sick. There was, that was just a precursor to a far greater problem. You see, something I think most parents understand, um, something that we see in this story uh, is that there's always a problem in parenting, right? There's always some sort of problem. Um, I think every parent gets this at some level. Someone's always sick. Uh, you know, what, there's a demon possession in this story. Uh, there's some sort of, you know, there could be an emergency room visit, uh, a sickness, an emotion, emotional struggle, uh, or some sort of just toddler emergency. There's, all, there's always some sort of uh, problem. And, uh, you know, if we're honest about these toddler emergencies, um, it seems to be about every five minutes, spilling milk, uh, someone invading personal space. Maybe these aren't toddler emergencies. Maybe these are all sorts of emergencies. And what do we do uh, when these things happen? We just look at them like they're crazy, or, or at least I do. Um, you know, but uh, in that moment... Of a major, whether it's a major crisis or a toddler emer- emergency, we notice, um, and our kids notice, uh, something that every single person on this planet can observe. There's something wrong with the world. There's something wrong with the world. And we get it. Our kids get it. You know, if we're, if we're parents here today, if you're not parents here today also, you should get this too. You know, because uh, parents were often tired uh, physically, mentally, emotionally worn out. Um, and do you know why? It's not because of parenting. It's because the world is broken. Parenting has something to do with it, though, right? Uh, it's just, but the world is not the way it should be. 
Right? That's what we see. There's something wrong with the world that affects our kids. Right? It affects us, our relationships. It affects our work. It affects our culture. If every single one of us in here tonight were honest, when we look at the world, we would all agree and know that it's not just parenting where there's always a problem. When we look out at the world, we see something's not right, right? Marriages and relationships have strife. We see war and violence and crime, lying, stealing, cheating, pride, anger, worry, right? The list goes on and on. And you know what? When we reflect back at this story, Jesus knows this. He knows that there's a problem with the world. He understands this. And as the life of Jesus continues to unfold, we find out that Jesus knows that the biggest problem in this woman's life is not their circumstance, right? It's not her daughter's demon possession. The biggest problem in this lady's life, in her child's life, is their standing before God. It's their standing before God. You see, it wasn't her heritage and her lineage and her culture that was ultimately keeping her from Jesus, the Son of God. But rather, it was her standing before God caused by something what the Bible calls sin, Simply put, sin is when we disobey God. When we lie, we disobey God. Right? When we're prideful and we're angry, we're disobeying God. There are thousands of different ways every single day we can disobey God, that we can sin against God. But there's a problem. You see, just one sin, it separates us from God. Right? Our heritage, what we were born into, uh, that's not what keeps us from God. Our sin, just one sin, eternally separates from the God that created us. And this sin that affects the world, it's a disease. It's like a demon possession that cripples us. And just like this little girl was helpless in her bed, keeping her from the life that she was created to live, our sin, us in this room here today, it too leaves us spiritually helpless. Right? It leaves us keeping us from the life that we were created to live. It keeps us from being the parents that God intends for us to be. It keeps us from, it keeps our kids from the living the life that God created them to live. The greatest problem in the world today is sin. And do you know what the, the Bible says the penalty of sin is? Death. The penalty of sin is death and eternal separation from God. The consequences are not good. But do you know what? God, in his kindness, he sent a rescuer, a redeemer. Right? He sent someone to save the world from the oppression of sin, that someone, that Redeemer, his name is Jesus. Right? We have good news today. We have good news that God does not leave us in our sin, but rather he sent Jesus, who never sinned, who never disobeyed God, to live the life that we could not live, and then he died the death that we deserve. The penalty of our sin is death, but this is the gospel, that Jesus died on the cross in our place. Right? Jesus took the consequence of the sin that we deserve upon himself. Right? He bore our sin. He took our sin. Or from the story, drawing from the story, we could say when Jesus went to the cross, he humbled himself to be the dog so that we could sit and feast at the king's table. We have to understand that in this story, each one of us, because of our sin, we each have a crippling problem like this little girl. We do, our kids do, our friends, our family, our co-workers, everybody. I do. And on top of that, our sin has made us outcasts like the mother and the girl. And trying to come to a holy God, to a holy God, perfect God, this appears to be about as foolish and scandalous as this woman, right? It seems crazy. 
for us trying to come to a holy God full of sin. It's ridiculous. But as the story points out, the only thing that can save us from our problem, just like the mother in the story, is our faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible is clear. The only thing that can heal us from our paralyzing disease of sin is faith. It's trusting and believing in Jesus Christ. That's the only thing. Having enough faith, believing the scraps, having, believing the scraps falling off of Jesus' table will be enough to heal us, to cure us of our spiritual oppression. Something that we see today is that a little faith will go a long ways. It goes a long ways in the kingdom of God. And it's not just saving faith. Right, this is something that we need every day. It's a standing faith. The gospel is good news every day. If you're a Christian here today, this story, this story should spur us on to great faith. The scandalous, audacious, bold, and persistent nature of this mother's faith, that should spur us on. Her humble and persistent faith, this should spur us on. Come before Jesus and humbly beg God in persistence and labor, to, to labor on our behalf. And in a lot of ways, this mother's faith, it's a model for persistent prayer, a faith that doesn't give up, that asks persistently and boldly to, for help and healing. So let me ask, right? we have to ask, what is it in your life and in the lives of others where God is leading you to be persistent and constant in prayer and faith? Because through the gospel, we have continual and daily access to the great physician and wise counselor. He wants us to be persistent in prayer and in our faith. And on top of that, something we know is that Jesus modeled persistent and sustaining faith by going to the cross in our place. That's the perfect model. But do you know one of the many reasons to why the gospel is such good news? Because every day, because of our faith in Jesus, every single day, in faith we ask for crumbs but yet every single day, God gives us a feast on the gospel. We ask for crumbs, but he gives us a feast. It's something that's so good, that's so life-giving, that it's something we can feast on for a lifetime. This gospel, this is good news. It doesn't just change our standing before God. It doesn't just bring us to the table, but it's a daily feast. The gospel is a special ingredient to, the rest, to every single recipe. We need the gospel for salvation, but we also need it for everyday life. Something that is so important for us here at New City Church is that a faith that saves us is also a faith that changes us. Right? The gospel saves us, it changes us, and it also sustains us. Because true, real, authentic faith, it, faith, it changes lives. Right? When we encounter true, authentic faith, right? And Jesus, through the gospel, our lives, when we encounter Christ, our lives, they can't be the same. Nothing can be the same. This is, this, is my, this is why we say, this is our big idea, that the gospel is essential to parenting. That's why we say that, that the gospel is essential to all of life. Because without it, without the gospel, without Jesus, we're outcasts. Right? We're shunned away from the table, so to speak. But with it, with the gospel, with the good news that we have, we can feast with the king. We've got access to the king's wisdom. We've got access to the king's grace. We've got access to his patience. The feast that Jesus the king provides, it fuels us for everyday life. So as I close out our time here tonight, <laughs> something we believe wholeheartedly here at New City Church is that the gospel changes everything. You know, it's essential to our lives, our kids' lives. This is what we believe we need to be equipped by for parenting. It's what we need. Right? The gospel. We need the gospel for all of life. This is what fuels us to be patient. 
This is what fuels us to be kind, to keep going when we're tired. And we believe that this is the thing that our kids need the most. They need this from us as a church. They need this from us as parents. And this is what we as parents, this is what we need the most too, right? We have to disciple our kids, right? And we need to be reminded of the gospel daily so we can remind our kids daily of the gospel. If you're a Christian here today, I want to call you to be persistent and to be bold in faith like the mother in this story. Because a faith that recognizes her desperate dependence on Jesus, right? She has a faith that made a difference in her daughter's life. A faith, uh, we can have, I want to call us to have a faith that affects and changes lives, our own lives. The gospel calls us to go, uh, to go all in on our faith, right? We can't just tiptoe around our faith because of what Jesus has done. We can't tiptoe around it. Authentic Christian faith demands a daily and desperate dependence on Jesus. Right? I need this. We all need this. Here at New City Church, this is something we fight for as a church. We want to grow daily in dependence and faith. Right? We want to do this with infants, right? newborns, all the way through, through to the adults. Right? We're all trying to figure this out. This is a journey for our entire church. However, if you're here tonight and you have not placed saving faith in Jesus Christ, I want to call you to consider trusting in Christ today. I want to call you to consider trusting in Christ. Jesus wants you, he wants each and every single one of us to sit and feast with Jesus at his table. Starting tonight, if you're a parent, he wants your kids to feast with Jesus. I believe this with all my heart, the greatest things that we can give to our kids the greatest things we can do for our entire life is the gift of faith. And to let Jesus begin working in it through us, through you. If this is something that you desire, something you believe in your heart and know that you need, right? if you're here tonight and you want to trust in Christ, would you tell someone, maybe the person that's invited you next to you, well, you can come find me. Right? This is a big deal. Right? Saving faith is a big deal. It's something we can celebrate, really. This is a celebration. Jesus has radically changed my life and many lives of many people here. And I pray that all of us would experience the same gift. So let's pray. Father, I, we're thankful for God's word. We're thankful that the word of God does not come back void. We, we're thankful that the word of God has power, uh, that we can come to a story, as we saw tonight, of a woman with great faith doing anything and everything possible for her daughter. Father, we, we saw her faith. We pray that it would spur us on to greater faith. We, pr we pray that it would remind us of the grace and the patience that we see in Jesus every single day in the gospel. Father, we pray that uh, if we're here tonight and we have not, someone here has not put their faith in Jesus Christ, we pray that they would not walk out this door without uh, trusting Christ and telling someone. Father, we, uh, we need you. Father, we pray for help. Uh, we pray that you would do a mighty work. Uh, we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.